day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. we got a great week of shows planned, and of course, this is Thanksgiving week, which will be very different for all of us than what we are used to. We are going to talk a little later today about how Thanksgiving went in Canada, just across the river from us in Detroit last month, and how we really ought to avoid uh, a repeat of what happened there. Really interesting story about flaunting or flouting the kinds of warnings that uh, we have had about gatherings and not distancing and not wearing masks and, and how they have had some somewhat Uh, tragic consequences in our uh, neighbors to the north country. So uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And throughout the week, we are going to get you ready for the big day on Thursday and all of the things that will be different. But we will always, as always, be talking about how to make it celebratory and festive. Up first today, though, we are at a real inflection point in the GOP efforts to cast doubt on the really clear results of the November election. Today, the Board of State Canvassers meets at 1 p.m. to certify the results of the election, but it is unclear whether that will actually happen. And late last week, top Republican state lawmakers met with the president at the White House. It's not really clear what they talked about, but it stands to reason that the subject of disregarding the will of voters and delivering the state's electoral college votes to Trump came up. Here to talk about this moment in our democracy and why he thinks State House Speaker Lee Chatfield, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, and other lawmakers should have turned down that invite is Richard Primus. He is a constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan. Richard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Happy to be here. Yes. So let's start with that meeting last week. Uh, You wrote an op-ed in Politico titled, Why Michigan's Top Legislators Should Cancel That Meeting with Trump. You wrote, quote, The danger for Shirky and Chatfield is that they're being visibly invited to a meeting where the likely agenda involves the felony of attempting to bribe a public official. Talk about the legal trouble that you think Shirky, Chatfield, and several of their colleagues risked by attending. So the first thing I should say is it looks like they may have avoided the problem, but they've taken the risk, which I would not have advised them to do, but they may come out fine, Um, uh, which would be to their credit. Mm -hmm. Here's the, the problem that they faced. Everyone knew when President Trump invited them to the White House, that the reason he was inviting them was that he was hoping to get them to get the Michigan legislature to set aside the vote of the Michigan voters from three weeks ago and appoint a slate of Republican electors, even though the Democratic candidate Joe Biden won the vote in Michigan. That's kind of an extreme thing to ask a legislature to do, right? Mm -hmm. Legislatures in the United States have let people vote to determine electors for more than 100 years. So it's a very aggressive, destabilizing, anti-democratic thing. But it was also quite clear that it was the thing that President Trump wanted. He'd been saying publicly, and other people in his administration had been saying, that they were going to talk to Republican legislative leaders in states with Republican-controlled legislatures and ask them 
to appoint electors for Trump, even though the people of those states voted for Biden. And the risk for the Michigan legislators who went to the meeting was that think about what it is that President Trump would say in that meeting to those legislators. He, at this point, would do pretty much anything to get them to send electors his way. There's nothing else. All presidents want to be reelected. But most presidents temper their ambitions about being reelected because there are a couple of other things they care about. Um, They care about the future of the country um, and they care about the democratic system, uh, small d democratic. So they don't want to bring the system crashing down to get themselves reelected. They care about the reputation of their political party Mm -hmm. because they have ideals and values and policies. They want to be popular and successful in the future. And they also have some sort of ethical compass, most of them, such that even if they really, really want to be reelected, they're they're not willing to be known in history as liars and cheats in order to get there. None of those things really applies to President Trump. Uh, He cares about his own winning. Yeah. And he's demonstrated all through his administration that he's willing to break rules and norms and principles to get the thing he wants. So now with everything on the line, right, he, he, he's going to lose. He would be willing to offer whatever he could right, to pull out a win instead, whatever he could, without really any ethical constraints. And if you're the president of the United States, you have a lot that you can offer. Um, you have a lot that you can offer that you ought not to offer. Mm. Um, you could say, throw me the electoral votes and I will make you a cabinet secretary, or throw me the electoral votes and I will make you an ambassador to Spain, or worse, throw me the electoral votes and there will be money in it for you. There's no question that a person with the president's influence could make that happen. And if we were talking about a different president, about Barack Obama or George W. Bush, it would be outrageous to think that the president would offer that kind of a bribe to get a state legislature to take the anti-democratic action of appointing electors other than the ones that people voted for. But President Trump, we know, is a person who paid illicit money to people like Stormy Daniels to protect his first presidential run. There's no reason to think he won't pay illicit money to protect his second. And And under Michigan law, for an office holder to accept a promise of some personal benefit in return for doing something with the exercise of their office, like appointing electors, is a felony. And now, there's no particular reason to think that the Michigan legislators who went, Chatfield and Shirky, are you know, particularly shady characters who are interested in taking bribes. Right? Let's assume that they're upstanding, honorable public servants. But it's dangerous for a person who's clean and wants to stay clean to take a meeting with someone who quite likely is going to ask you to cross the line and not be clean anymore, where there's that risk. It looks bad. It leads you into temptation. And lead us not into temptation is good, both as a religious (laughs) precept and as legal advice. Sometimes you just don't want to put yourself in the situation. Now, the way they came back from Washington, they made a statement which seems to indicate that either they prevented the president from 
making a bad offer, or if he made one, and of course I had no idea what was actually said in the meeting, you know, they seem to be smart enough to have pushed it away. And as long as everything goes as it's supposed to from here, right, as long as the process plays out the way that it is supposed to under the law, and Michigan certifies electors for the candidate people voted for, for Biden, there won't be any legal trouble. And that's what we hope is going to happen you know, today and going forward. Yeah. So so I, I, I agree with you that, that the optics here were terrible. Uh, the idea of accepting this invitation uh, of the president's to come to, to Washington at, at this time to talk with him in the White House, uh, presumably about the election, although I'm, you know, they did say that they talked about other things. But there's no way to believe that the election didn't come up. And then I thought further to stay at the president's hotel, which I wouldn't have done, uh, to, to be photographed uh, drinking super expensive champagne in the lobby uh, of that hotel. I mean, uh, the, this, is, this is amateur hour kinds of uh, political corruption um, uh, dynamic. Uh, whether it's corruption itself or not, it just looks terrible. And I was surprised, particularly in, in Mike Shirky, who is a seasoned politician, has been around a long time, uh, that, that he would not have known, that we, he would not have known better. Uh, but, but it does seem that, that even, even if there isn't uh, uh, something afoot in terms of trying to co-op these two and the others who were there into, into helping the president do what he's what he's doing, it's all, it's all just going is, is further damaging to the institutions that the president is attacking. I mean, he wins just by getting you to come there and, and meet with him in the sense that it casts further doubt on the process. Well, that, that might be right. I mean, there are a few different ways that it's important to try to think about the situation at the same time, right? What is about what the president is doing? Um, one good way actually to understand what he's doing is that he's throwing a tantrum. Um, he lost and he really doesn't like losing. Um, he's not the kind of person who takes a loss gracefully and says, you know, I lost, but the system goes on and, you know, that's what's most important. Um, uh, he's throwing a tantrum and an adult throwing a tantrum is always unattractive because he's the president. It also happens to be extremely dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, it's important that as many people as possible make as clear as possible that this is not acceptable and that the election is, in fact, not in doubt and that you know, the system has a set of rules for how it works. And there was a vote and uh, and President Trump's term is ending. And, you know, whoever you voted for, that's how it goes this time. I was very happy to see over the weekend a couple more uh, Republican members of the United States Senate. Um, come out and say, no, this is over. Joe Biden won. We congratulate the president-elect, and we're looking forward to working with him. People like Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Right? Those are really important steps forward. Um, Senator Shirky and Peter Chatfield here in Michigan, in some respects, you know, they were in a little bit of a tough spot. When the president of the United States asks you to come meet with him, it's hard to say no. If you're an office holder whose voting base mostly likes the president a lot, it takes a little bit of courage 
to stand up and walk away and say, no, I'm not going to do that right now. Um, That kind of courage is, though, something that I think we should hope for in our elected representatives. And at a time when the system is under a lot of strain, which it is right now, um, especially so, I'm glad that it looks like, to this point, enough of the system is holding that, you know, we should come through fine to January 20th. Mm. But between now and then, you know, as, I mean, your point about the optics of it being bad, stress and adversity reveal character. Mm. Right? The decisions people do and don't make when they're in tough spots in times of stress say a lot about who they are. And as has been true through the Trump administration, we're learning a lot of things about a lot of people um, under the stress of this presidency. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Richard Primus about this stalemate over election 2020 and the votes and whether they will be certified, whether they will all be counted. Uh, We want to hear from you as well. What do you think about the Michigan Board of Canvassers meeting today, deciding whether or not to certify the votes here from the state of Michigan? Uh, Do you believe that uh, this will all work out in the end, or do you think that the Republic is in some jeopardy because of this threat to the votes. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter for comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city, your town, your voice on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you joined us. My guest is Richard Primus, constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. We're talking about... The State Board of Canvassers meeting today where they will hopefully vote to certify the election results uh, from earlier in November and get us a little further toward the end of election 2020, which seems to have dragged out an awfully long time for an election that really wasn't all that close. Uh, We want to hear from you as well. Uh, What do you think about uh, the possibility that the votes might not be certified? What do you think of the dispute over the voting that took place uh, on November 3rd uh, for president and all the other offices. Do you believe that there was some impropriety uh, that took place? Do you believe that this is all made up by the president of the United States who has not put forward a shred of evidence to support the claims he's made about those elections? As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation Richard, before I get to uh, listeners, uh, you and I have talked a lot of times about um, about this this move by Republicans uh, to sort of assail the institutions and the customs that make the republic work. Uh, your wonderful analogy uh, of, of that was always that. The Republic is kind of like a pickup basketball game. There isn't really a referee there to make sure that the rules are enforced. Both sides 
just decide that uh, that the rules and the game, keeping the game going, are more important than winning all the time. And that one of your concerns was that Republicans had kind of dropped that uh, that prioritization, and and we're talking about uh, just winning all the time and and not worrying about it. I want to ask you specifically about this particular assault on on the most sacred institution in our democracy, which is the right to vote, and whether if it is successful, and, and I don't think it will be, and I, I think that ultimately the votes will count and the results that were evident a few days after the election will be the, the result. But if, they, if that does not happen and... President Trump manages to claim somehow that he has been elected to another four years despite not getting the majority of the votes. Does that break the system? Um, does that does that end the American experiment in a fundamental way that it won't be possible to go back and, so to speak, put the genie back in the bottle? So the first thing to say is that I... I agree with you about what is going to happen. To say, I think that the president's efforts are failing, and uh, the system, I think, will work through this winter, and Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th, as, as supposed to be, and then we think about what other pieces we can pick up from there. I, I do think, though, that if it were not to play out that way, right? I mean, if um, somehow some combination of state legislators and courts were to go rogue and change the results in enough states to change the result of the election, um, yeah, I think we would have passed a breaking point. Um, I think it would be visibly obvious that the system had been distorted in bad faith um, in a way that made it no longer possible for most Americans who are well-informed and of good faith to think that they were living in the kind of governmental system that they had grown accustomed to. And you know, important here to, to, to realize, we who live in the United States and you know, who have lived here you know, like, like I have my whole life, um, we've lived under a very stable form of government, mm-hmm. right? remarkably so compared to most governments in the world through most of human history. In most governments through most of human history, you can't count on long-term stability and fair democratic elections and so forth. Now, there's no magic in the American system that guarantees that it will always be like that, no matter how much damage people in power do to it. Mm. Um, I think that, though, that we are going to come through this one without maximum damage, and that we should be grateful for that, and one other thing I think also, um, we are now at a moment of like relatively high danger, right, in the sense that the, the man in the White House is still not going quietly and may never go quietly. And he could still make a lot of noise and cause a fair amount of damage between now and January. I think it's important to remember it was always going to be like that, right, from the moment Donald Trump became president. It was the case that he was not going to leave if he lost the next election without impugning the integrity of the process and trying to you know, break what rules and norms he could to stay in. 
because he's not someone who concedes gracefully. Mm. That was a, a, that that was a problem locked in from the moment he became president. So it's not that anything now has happened that's worse than what we should have known was coming a year or three years ago. It's just that now is the moment where we have to do this. In, in, in an airplane disaster movie, you know, there's the stretch where the passengers <laughs> on the plane you know, stabilize the flight of the plane right. and, you know, it's sort of just going along. But for them to survive, they're going to have to land the thing. Right. That's coming yeah. at the end. There's no way around that. And that's a very dangerous moment. It's always been the case that we're going to have to land the plane of the Trump presidency. And that's what we're going through now. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Mark in Redford. Mark, what's on your mind? Stephen, good morning. Hey. I have a comment and question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be felonious, for one. For Republican legislatures to try to overturn the election. And my question for your guest is, um, does he think that this is some kind of crusade by the Republicans to restore their integrity, you know, uh, for elections of the future? Because, you know, allies for Trump, such as Rudy Giuliani, from what I heard, are doing precisely that. So, uh, Mark, I want to make sure I understand that they're doing what they're doing now for the future. Yeah, like I, I believe that Trump is on some kind of crusade, you know, to restore the image of the party. Huh. And you know, I mean, because it sounds, it seems like he doesn't have a justification to become um, right. um, a president for the next four years. Yeah. Mark, I, I I appreciate the call and the comments, uh, Richard. I, the, 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 one of the questions that is lingering in the background here is what the future of the GOP looks like if, I suppose, too many of its members or leaders participate in uh, in in what's going on. How do they sort of reverse course at some point? And and again. This question of the damage that gets done and and how you undo it, I think, is is hanging over all our heads. Yeah, the, the, the caller's question points to a really important issue for the future. Um, after this election cycle is done and Joe Biden is president, the Republican Party you know, will do what major political parties always do after they lose presidential elections, right? They'll ask, okay, what went wrong? How can we do better next time? And what happens inside the Republican Party in this round is of crucial importance for the future health of the constitutional system. Because there are lots of people within the Republican Party who have known Donald Trump is not a president like all other presidents. There is something deeply corrupt and damaging about him. Um, you, you might remember in 2016, when the Republican Party nominated Trump for the first time, um, the living previous nominees for president of the Republican Party, Mitt Romney, John McCain, uh, uh, George W. Bush, they refused to go to the convention at all. Right? Right. It's like uh, un, unheard of in modern history. Right? Why? Because they understood perfectly well that the new nominee, Donald Trump, was taking the party in a disastrous direction. And then when he won, you know, many Republicans you know, faced a choice. Like, would they accommodate themselves 
to being led by someone who previously they understood to be revolting, or would they not? And now that he will be gone, or at least out of the presidency, I mean, he may still try to exercise influence in the party. Now that he will be out of the presidency, what will the result of a struggle inside the Republican Party be? Mm. Right? Will people prevail who are, you know, in favor of restoration of a reality-based government in which there are strong shared norms between most Democrats and most Republicans? There are a bunch of Republicans who want to restore something like that. Or will the people prevail who are more or less in the chaos mode of President Trump? And it's a hugely important question because our system for 100 years has depended on stable repeat competition between two major parties to get on right with the business of our constitutional government. It's not a game that you can play with one party doing it that way mm-hmm. and another party not playing by the norms of the game, which means everyone, Democrats, Republicans, independents, every American is deeply invested in hoping that the Republican Party reconstitutes itself as a party much more committed than it was under Donald Trump to shared constitutional norms and to preventing something like a Trump-like candidate um, from being nominated in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get back to listeners, and I know you also have to run, Richard, and I'm really grateful for, for your time today, but uh, I wonder what you make of this possibility of a 2-2 split at the State Board of Canvassers. Uh, Lee Chatfield, who's Speaker of the House, says that would maybe throw us into a constitutional crisis. I actually think that's not the right assessment. I think the, there's protocols to deal with that. It's an unusual happening. But but what's your sense of where that would leave us if that happens? So I, I hope that it wouldn't throw us into a constitutional crisis because um, what I hope would happen, what I, ex- I expect would likely happen, is that very quickly um, the question would wind up in the Michigan Court of Appeals and that the Michigan Court of Appeals backed by the Michigan Supreme Court would issue a mandamus order to the board that says you actually don't have the authority to do that, right? Your job is just to do the math and certify that it was done properly um, and announce who the winner is. And then, you know, I, I assume they would comply um, and, you know, and it would go forward from there quietly. I, I should also say um, the, there's also a federal law angle here. Um, under the Federal Voting Rights Act, um, the decision by a state canvassing board to refuse to count and certify legally cast votes without a pretty good reason um, is a federal law violation. Um, I I hope that's something that all the members of the canvassing board know, because I don't think they would want to expose themselves to liability for that for for no particularly good reason. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Okay. Richard Primus, constitutional law professor and historian, at the University of Michigan Law School. It's always great to have you here with us on the show. I'm really glad you were here to help explain all of this to our listeners, and we'll see what happens at the uh, Board of Canvassers meeting at 1 o'clock today. Okay, good to talk to you. Yes, thanks very much. I, I want to get a couple other listeners in here before uh, we break and get to our next uh, subject. Mary in uh, Gross Point Park. Mary, what's on your mind? 
Hey, good morning. Um, fabulous show today. Oh, thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. I want to pick up on the thread you all were just talking about that Mark from Redford kickstarted. Mm-hmm. You know, I find their visit to Washington just an embarrassment. Uh, and a real, it really discredits our state. So if I'm a business and I'm looking to relocate to Michigan and a properly functioning and predictable state government is a factor, you know, what do I make of the current Republican leadership in Michigan? Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mary, uh, I think there are an awful lot of people scratching their heads right now about the way in which uh, this, this leadership, and it's not GOP leadership. They keep being referred to that way. Lee Chatfield is the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the state of Michigan. He represents all of us. He doesn't just represent the people in his district anymore. He doesn't just represent the Republican Party. He represents Michigan. Same with Mike Shirky, who is the majority leader in the Senate. And we need both of them to aspire to a little bit higher level of recognition of that responsibility. They are not partisans uh, only. They are representatives of all of us. And and frankly, uh, it would not be awful for them to be advocating for legal votes cast here in the city of Detroit to be counted. Uh, It is disappointing that we haven't heard more from them about this effort to disenfranchise, especially African-American voters who historically have been left out of our democracy, Uh, this effort by people in their own party to continue that. I I would like to see them act a little more statesmanlike uh, in that regard. And Mary, I think your, your comment absolutely reinforces that. Let's go to Liz in Garden City. Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, my comment is, I know I, I was saying to the screener, I know how it sounds, but this is an attempted coup. And I never thought in the United States that we would be in this situation. Yeah. Mr. Trump likes to push boundaries. He likes to see how far he can take things to win. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people willing to go along with him, more people than I ever would have dreamed would go along with him. And I think uh, Mr. Shirky and Mr. Chatfield are treating this like a game. Uh, you know, I, Liz, I, that's, I think that's a dead-on description of what we're seeing uh, the president is somebody who likes to push boundaries has always talked about himself in that way and he lo- he wants to see how people react and some of it is just about seeing what that reaction is uh, what we need right now are far more sober heads among the leadership in his party and outside of his party to say you know what this isn't a game and this is a boundary that if you push too far, or if you were to be successful uh, at breaking through that boundary, you really are subverting the republic itself. And and, and I'm not being uh, hysterical, I don't think, by saying, uh, as Richard acknowledged, that if, if this effort is successful, it will be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to continue the idea of America that we have all uh, been accustomed to now for 240 some years. Uh, you 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 cannot unbreak what that would break. You cannot disenfranchise that many people in modern America. And and remember, uh, we used to disenfranchise people 
on a scale much larger than that all the time because of their race, because of their gender, because of all kinds of things. We have come so far from that point, and this is an effort to return back. And if you go back to that point, I don't know. I don't know how you go forward from there. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to change the subject here. We are going to talk about Thanksgiving and take a look at what we can learn from Canada's Thanksgiving-related COVID spike. Really interesting conversation up next. Stay with us on Detroit Today.